Um, well, here we are, Christmas Eve. Does it feel like, how many of you, it doesn't feel like Christmas Eve? Jeanne? It is. It's Christmas Eve. So whether you don't feel like it is or you do, welcome. This is actually a time where we just pause to slow down into the story. And Katie said it well. However you come, with whatever you carry, you're welcome. And uh, we really believe that no one's on the outside looking in at the love of Jesus. So we just hope that you experience genuine love um, and you're received well here today. Uh, you know, and, and one of the, um, I just want to call out something that's pretty obvious uh, but it's so easy to sometimes miss. Uh, what we're doing here is we're not putting on a Christmas show. That's not what this is. We're not, I, um, you know, I, I, the talent's great with the music and it's not, we don't center around a personality or talent, but we just wanna bring everything together to point to Jesus. And so even for me in this space, I just, I just kind of wanna get out of the way a little bit um, and really just point to Jesus. Uh, um, so, I haven't told you my name. My name's Dave. Hi, I'm one of the pastors as well. Um, really simple how we go through the rest of our gathering. I'm gonna read the story straight from the Bible, this ancient story that has shaken the foundations of the world. Um, and we'll hear more about that in a little bit. After I read the story, we're gonna zoom out just for a few moments and look at the broader historical cultural impact of this day. And then we're gonna zoom in to our own personal lives and just ask the question, so what? What, is that, what does that actually matter or even mean for us today? Uh, and then you're gonna hear another voice read the story. My friend Zoe, a child, part of our church family, is going to read the story today. And our prayer leading up to this gathering is that whether you're a follower of Jesus and your eyes, they're just tired, uh, maybe so many other things that are more urgent in your life have captured your imagination more than the Christmas story. You know, your, your family, your career, your hobbies, the, the worries about tomorrow and hosting or next week. Um, you've heard this story a lot. Lord, may you renew wonder. Or, or maybe you're here and, well, I would say all of us to some degree are susceptible to the cynicism that fills our culture and even the skepticism. And I wanna, I wanna tell you, if you're carrying a lot of that here today, I'm just really glad you're here and wanna invite you to um, be where you're at and not try to be where you're not. And so let me just start really simply by just reading the Bible. How's that on Christmas Eve? Read the Bible, Luke chapter two. I'm gonna start on verse four um, and here's what it says. It says, so Joseph also went up from the town to Nazareth in Galilee to Judah to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, they came, they came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to a firstborn son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped up in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with an angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace for those on whom his favor rests. 
When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and a baby was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these, these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So let me just pause for a moment. As we slow down into this story, um, this gathering in particular feels, anytime we gather with our church family, I'm just really grateful. I love this community. It's been a safe place for me and many of us to just be weak and truly be ourselves, the beauty and the messiness of life. Um, but today is actually uh, holds a little bit more weight uh, for me when it comes to the beauty side of things because um, one, uh, some friends of ours who uh, you might know Brandon and his new wife Olya uh, from the Ukraine, they have come here to visit for the first time since the war broke out and they've been a part of our, Christmas, our first Christmas Eve gathering and so that was so special having them be a part. I'll share more about that in a little bit but I also have family with me and one of the things, family from out of town and one of the things that I love, 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 love about um, is being able to introduce friends and family of mine to our church family. And so as we slow down into this story, um, I just want to ask a really uh, obvious question. And it's actually a question that comes from this pile of mess uh, to my right, your left. This is um, a potter's wheel and a big lump of clay right in the middle. You're probably wondering what in the world that has to do with uh, Christmas. And it was an idea that came up in early December, I believe, or maybe November, um, this image of the potter's wheel and clay that I, and I just couldn't get it out of my mind. Because in our culture, as human beings, everyone, we're being formed by something, we're being formed by the environment around us, the people in our lives, the things we value, the things we believe. We're all being formed. Um, but this question that I've been asking uh, as we move into the, the Christmas season, as we've been moving slowly through Advent, is does this ancient story still have the power and potency to form us and change our lives today? Does it? Does it still carry that kind of weight? And so... Um, so we, we pause just to name this, that the goal of this story that we're looking to, to live into today, the goal is not some sort of like once a year over-torqued sentimentality. The, the goal is actually for this to shape and change our lives. And, um, and, I, and, it, and it's, it sounds like, okay, I've, I've heard it over and over and over. Is it still doing that? Or maybe some of you come here today and you're like, I actually don't see how that old story can actually change my life here in 2022. But that is actually the goal, according to scripture, of this, this story that we enter into today. And so there's this little line that I wanna point to first. And the, the shepherds went out and they told all sorts of people um, about the coming of Jesus. And it says that all of those people that they told were amazed. Uh, that word amazed actually means wonder in the Greek. 
Um, it is this unlocking of our imagination and wonder. And uh, sometimes when we stare at something long enough, it can lose its wonder and it can lose its beauty because we've just seen it or heard it so many times. You've heard it in songs, you've read the scripture. And so the prayer is, God, will you recapture our wonder around this? And, um, and so I'm gonna just start with that question. How do we enter into the same kind of wonder that they entered to on that first Christmas? So let's just take a moment and zoom out for a second. Um, earlier, I think it was the first week of Advent, or actually right before December, um, I shared this idea that I'm going to share with you today. There's a man by the name of Tom Holland, not the actor who played Spider-Man, um, but actually the historian. He's a fairly famous, prominent, secular historian. And I've been really fascinated with his work recently, and, and here's why. Tom Holland is, has been uh, a self-proclaimed atheist. And, and here's what uh, his bias towards the Christian faith has been for much of his life or for much of his professional life in, in his words, and I'll tell you where you can read them. Um, his bias has been that Christianity has had a negative impact on the world. I wanna pause for a second here and say this. There are distorted, hear me, distorted forms of Christianity that have had a, had a negative impact. But the essence of this, the real thing, He's discovered as he went into research and, and write his book, um, Dominion, uh, he actually discovered the very opposite is true. And the statement that he gives um, can be found in a New, New Statesman article called Why I Was Wrong About Christianity. It actually came out in 2016, so it's a few years old. But one pastor reflecting on this article um, summed it up really well, and he wrote this. As early as 2016, Tom Holland had already admitted to being wrong about Christianity. He hadn't become a believer in Christ per se, but he had become a believer in the necessity for Christianity at that time. Far from seeing Christianity as a gray breath, he had come to see Christianity as the fount of all that was good and laudable in the Western world. The sanctity of, hum of individual life, the respect for women, racial equality, fairness, care for the poor, and most significantly, protection for victims of oppression. What many, what many secular historians naively granted to the Enlightenment, Holland had come to see it was the true gifts of Christianity. And I'm actually really thankful in a world that is um, just laced with cynicism. I'm so grateful for his honesty, his professional honesty in, in doing this work. And the, you might be asking the question right now, why are you reading this? What does this have to do with Christmas? And I, I would say this actually has everything to do with Christmas. As we zoom out and look at the historical impact of this story, this has everything to do. That, that the peak of enlightenment is not right now. The peak of enlightenment was actually in, and still is Jesus. That is the peak of enlightenment. And if you look, look back, if you survey our culture and you see the value for human dignity, if you see the value for human life popping up all over the place. There's a lot of darkness, but there is this sort of sense of wanting to grow, even in secular culture, for the value of human life. That cultural value, um, in and of itself, it's not an American idea. It didn't come from the ancient Greeks. It did not come from the Enlightenment. That idea is a uniquely Christian idea that started with the birth of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, it historically did not exist in a collective cultural way before the person of Jesus. And that's a beautiful historical truth that we enter into today. And even those, even those who would say, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, gets 
still gets to live in and taste at least some of the benefits of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, um, but the real legacy, and, and this has been, the, the real legacy of Jesus is the fact that there's over two billion people on this weekend around the world in underground churches in China that are just exploding with growth in a, in a, in a, in a culture that's trying to, to uproot and get rid of the church and in the Middle East and many, and just all countries across the face of the planet like are all coming around this story today and embedded both in beautiful places in darkness is the light of Jesus. I talked about my friends, Brandon, who is a longtime member of our church family. He married Olya um, right before the war broke out in Ukraine. And uh, he came back here to finish his education. Then the war happened. And then he, he figured out a way to get back to her, to be there. And I had coffee with them yesterday. And it was a really profound experience because I've been, we've been praying for both of them for um, for months, and uh, but to see them, to hear their stories, um, to be with them as brother and sister in Christ was really profound. And one of the things that they shared with me was this. This kind of shook me to the core. There in Ukraine, in the places that carried the most risk, all of the organizations that bring relief and aid moved out. So in the riskiest places, right on the front lines, like, those organizations, um, every organization moved out except for one organization. And it was the church embedded in that culture that moved into the scariest places, the darkest places, the places with the most risk to bring help and life and healing and put their own life on the line. And that to me was just a microcosm of the church embedded around planet earth, sometimes in a war-torn area like Ukraine, but also in our very neighborhoods people of light instead of being people of division to love people regardless of their biases, regardless of what they believe or where they come from or who they voted for. The light of Jesus like is spread out and embedded all across the entire world. And again, one, because we're human and we're imperfect and I'm one of those. And, and two, because the tactic of darkness since the very beginning was to distort the truth. There are many distorted versions of it but there is so much beauty growing all across. And it started here. It started on Christmas. And so you see Jesus turned the world on its head and still does through this power under. There's power over, like I'm gonna oppress, I'm gonna conquer, I'm gonna have power over, and there's power under to serve, to heal. Jesus's otherworldly entrance into the human story through power under turn the world on its head because God incarnate entered a womb the most fragile dependent place on planet earth is this womb but didn't just enter a womb entered Mary's womb and Mary was one of the most vulnerable people in the ancient world a young teenage peasant and and this is so significant not just that God came but how God came is so, so impactful. This highlights that God's kingdom is subversive and it plants itself in the darkest and lowest places. And like a mustard seed, which the Bible uses as a metaphor, it's an invasive plant that can grow through any terrain. The kingdom of God grows through the chaos of this world. And over time, it's not just us going to heaven when we die, it's heaven coming to earth. Over time, the kingdom of God grows in all sorts of mysterious and beautiful ways throughout, throughout the human story until one day, all things will be made new. And so this sends a message 
from God that ripples through human history. That God doesn't play the same power over games that we play in this world. Jesus we serve is a Jesus that came in Bethlehem and washes the feet of even the one who betrayed him. This otherworldly power under that says, I'm gonna use my status. Actually, I'm gonna lay it down. I'm gonna spill my status down. I'm gonna spill it out so that I can see even my enemies healed. It just, it's otherworldly. And, and, and part of this imagery of the clay today is like this ugly lump, if you can see it. There's a big ugly ball on this um, potter's wheel over here. On the potter's wheel, nothing has formed beauty out of chaos in our world over the past 2,000 years more than Jesus entering this world. And that's what Christmas is. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna move into this next, we zoom out. Now we're gonna zoom in a little bit because I, I find this really fascinating what happens. Like if you didn't grow up in our culture experiencing everything we experience around Christmas, you'd think what in the world is going on? Why are people wearing sweaters like that? What's this, everything changes. Music changes, smells change, what we, what we uh, taste changes, everything changes this time of year. Uh, case in point, you don't drink eggnog in the summer after mowing the lawn. It's really gross. Um, I, and, and, and not only that, but it's, it's crazy. This time of year, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, even nature changes. We move, the, the nights get longer, the days get shorter, everything just begins to change. You, you realize that? Everything, everything changes. Um, lights and decorations start to go up all across the landscape. I knew somebody once, um, there are many people that don't like the change. I knew somebody once that would, with his family, right after, right by the, like moving to Christmas afternoon, tree comes down. Decorations come down. Um, if that's you, be healed. I'm gonna pray for you. Uh, we played a prank on them once and they went out to a movie that afternoon. We redecorated the whole house. It was not received as an act of friendship. And I don't care. Um, I really don't care. Uh, but here's what's fascinating about this cultural reality. And, and stick with me for a moment. This is once a year, it's like the story that shaped all of humanity there has been no person that's been more influential on planet Earth than Jesus. More songs have been sung about, more books written about. This, I mean, this, this peasant man who didn't even travel very far out of his hometown, like literally his resume is not the resume of somebody that would actually send ripples of influence throughout, man, unless, unless there's something true about not just the life, not just the death, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we gotta wrap it all up today in this. We can't just talk about the birth. We gotta look at it through the lens of the whole thing. And uh, in this story, once a year comes close to all of us, so close that we taste peppermint, that we see twinkle lights, that we, that we hear Christmas music, whether you like it or not, playing all over the place. The soundtrack, it all changes, even nature changes. And here's what I find really fascinating. Some, you know, some people, maybe well-meaning people, maybe I've said this before, you know, um, you know, when Jesus is around, everything changes. It's not true. Let me explain. Proximity with Jesus and proximity with the truth of Jesus does not actually change your life alone. There were many people throughout scripture that were 
physically proximate to Jesus who left completely unchanged. And here's why. Because of love. Uh, Love doesn't dominate and force over. Jesus didn't come to force us into submitting to this narrative. Jesus actually comes under to invite us into something because love cannot exist with oppression. And so Jesus invites. And because Jesus invites, this story can come right here and leave us completely unchanged. And instead of the wonder of this story filling our imagination, the cynicism of the world just continues to swirl inside of us. And and remember that the goal of this, this Christmas story, this whole thing, it is not sentimental, it's not sentiment. It's not to bring warm fuzzies once a year, although I, I actually love that stuff. I'm a very sentimental guy in some ways. Um, but that's not the goal. The goal is actually to invite us into a new life. It is life change. It is to be shaped um, by something that's transcendent of the story we're trying to write in our own life. And so... Um, The Bible uses all sorts of imagery for this shaping, this life change. One is Jesus calling people to be disciples. Um, Dallas Willard uses the word apprentice, like it's a better word. Um, We understand it better. We're called to be apprentices of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus in everyday life. So actually, um, our life changes. How we live in our neighborhoods and in our jobs and in our schools, um, we practice. It's not perfection, we, have to, we, we fail, um, we repent, we get back up, but there's this practicing, like nurturing a garden. You're, you're watering, over time it grows and it looks more and more, more and more like Jesus as we mature as followers of Jesus. But there's other metaphors that Jesus uses, like the vine and the branches. I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, Jesus says you can do nothing. Or the one we're looking at today, the potter and the clay. If we surrender our life to the potter, our lives can be shaped into and in, in, in brought into the story that we read about today. Um, so we're gonna come back to that beginning question, which was really simple. Um, I'm gonna expand it a little bit. How do we restore the, the wonder around this that helps us enter into this life-shaping truth? And, and when I asked that question, I just, I felt myself throwing my hands up because I don't think any human being can carry that pressure. What I mean by that is this. I can't restore wonder for you. There's no amount of fancy words that can restore wonder in your soul. I can't break through the cynicism in you or myself. I can't break through the skepticism, the pain, the hard-hearted, whatever you're carrying. I can't break through that in you. I can't break through it in myself. And so the first thing I want to mention, we'll come back to at the end, in restoring the wonder is, it sounds way too simple. Ask God for help. I, I was sitting there just thinking and praying for tonight and I just found so much freedom in that. Like, wait a second. If people here and, and you online, if you take a moment this Christmas Eve just to go, God, help me. God, will you help? Will you restore? Will you show me if this is true? I believe God meets us in our prayers. And so in your own way, throughout this gathering, open invitation, God's not far the story is that God came close to us because we can't make our way to God. So I don't, there's not certain people in the church that pray and certain people that receive. We're all, we can all practice the presence of God. Um, so the second thing I wanna invite us into, and this is kind of strange, this is odd. Is it okay if I be a little odd for a minute? Because um, I really debated in doing, it doesn't matter. I asked that question, I, I realize that, I'm going to. Um, 
Uh, but it's still fun to ask. It feels polite. Um, I, uh, I debated on doing this, but I, I want to slow down for a moment and take a few minutes before we, pra- we lean into the story and sing together and light these candles. Again, that's more than sentiment. That's true. Um, I want to bring us into, remove us a little bit from our current cultural moment to look back at historic Christianity there's a man who's been a guide for me and Stephanie um, in this, and his name is Alexander Shia, and uh, um, invited us into some of the history of Christmas. Why is it December 25th? How did the early Christians practice to slow down into the story to, to, to keep a grip on the wonder and beauty of this and not lose it when everything in culture is trying to strip away the beauty of this thing, trying to dilute the wonder of Christmas. How do we hold on to it? And I want to invite you into this. And here's why. Not to give you a recipe on how to get wonder back, but to stir up your imagination, to stir up your affection towards this, to, to, to begin to just stir up wonder in, in whatever um, small bit or big bit that might be inside of your soul today. And, um, and so it starts, it starts with this. Um, have you ever wondered why Christmas is on December 25th? Have you ever wondered? Here's why. Historical Christians, I'm gonna go through a little bit of this history with you. They, and I won't go into all the details, um, but they purposely set Christmas three days after the winter solstice, which is either December 21st or December 22nd. Um, Purposely set it three days after, and here's why. Solstice is, it's just a fancy word for like sun, soul, stis, still, it's when the northern hemisphere is pointing the furthest away from the sun and we experience the darkest night of the year. Darkness in scripture represents everything that's evil in the world and inside of us. And so the early Christians decided three days after because three days after is the first time that the naked eye can begin to perceive light increasing in the universe. And so it's this marriage of the Christmas story and the Easter story that three days after this deepest darkness, darkness of crucifixion, there is this light, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But they also marked it on Christmas that just like that prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 9 2, 700 years before Jesus, in the land of deep, um, people were walking through a deep darkness and a light has dawned. So they wanted to mark Christmas at the time when the flicker of light becomes a little bit brighter in the universe. And here's why, and I find this so fascinating. They married the Christmas story with physical reality because they wanted it to be an incarnational story and truth we actually felt in our bodies. And, um, and it's a truth that calls out this reality, and this is what I've found so profound. And, and, and I do believe somebody needs to hear this today. I've needed to hear this. In our deepest darkness, prepare for new light to dawn. And, 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 and they would structure time differently. They would actually structure their day differently. In fact, in the ancient world, for early Christians, their day would start at sunset and go to sunset. So they would start the day with darkness. And, and so Christmas day started at sunset. Did the sun, sunset probably, right? Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, but that's when they would start it. Um, they would start it at sunset. And here's what they would do. And I'll explain why in, in just a minute. They would read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter one. 
It's not the most exciting read, by the way. <laughs> so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so. It's super awesome. You should read it. Um, but it did represent all these generations of people who are longing for a savior, longing for hope in a dark world. And they would read it at sunset. And here's, here's why they would read it. They structured their day differently, beginning with darkness, because they believe that darkness is not the end. It's only the beginning. And as Christians, we are not. And I, I don't assume that everyone's a Christian, by the way. And I wanna tell you, you're welcome whether you say you're in a part of that or not. And, and the invitation is like Jesus... But I do wanna say this, as followers of Jesus, we're not immune to darkness. And if ever you heard a, a, somebody preach or teach that there is this sort of reality we enter into as Christians where we can name it, claim it, step out of darkness and, and move into, it's just not the story of the Bible. From, like literally from cover to cover. But here's what, here's what the story invites us into. Though we're not immune to it, we contextualize it differently. In the world, Darkness equals the end, it equals despair. But in the kingdom of God, darkness single, signals the beginning of something. So it, it, is, it is this cry of hope on a soul level. Don't give up. Darkness is not the end. It's the prequel, it's the beginning. And when you hit a place of your deepest darkness, take note, the story that you're a part of says this, light is always following and so they would start the day, they would start Christmas with darkness, and then they would move on, um, they, would, they would move on to midnight, and they would read in Luke chapter 2, 8 through 4, and this was, uh, this, they would read the story of the shepherds. And um, my guess is, majority of the room, there were a couple people last gathering, not going to ask for hands right now, the majority of the room, you don't know too many shepherds. When I hear the word shepherd and I look back at the ancient world, like we can romanticize it. In fact, I actually Googled ancient shepherd and here's what came, came up. A really cool looking guy. Um, I was like, I, I kind of want to do that and be that. And I have always wanted to bring those kind of, you know, outfits back because it looked comfortable. But um, we romanticize it. Well, let's just pause for a second. I want to um, highlight this aspect of being a shepherd. And here's why they would read it at midnight. In the ancient world, Rome would actually, it, Rome was, the powerful Rome was moving people into cities. And people actually were sent out into, um, to be marginalized from cult, so outcasts. People that they didn't want in the center of society. And many of those people were sent out, the worst of the worst, to be shepherds. And, and here's why. Because shepherds were not just distant from life and community, they, it, the smell of sheep also gave them away. So no matter where they went, they're marked as an outcast, as a shepherd. And in fact, the, the Mishnah, which is Judaism's written record of the oral law, calls shepherds incompetent. Literally, this religious literature you can look up today says, shepherds are incompetent. And it says this, if a shepherd is in need, needs help, needs saving, don't feel any obligation to save them. How's that for lovey-dovey? I mean, it's like, let them die. That's this group of people. And, and here's why they would read this at midnight. Shepherds represent our individual darkness. And, um, and I just, I wanna pause here for a second. Uh, the question that we ask in this is, what darkness are we carrying um, 
I always look towards the Christmas season and create kind of a utopia in my mind. Anybody else do that? You know, you just, maybe not, maybe not. I, I do. I'm like, there's this magic line where my email inbox is gonna be empty, my to-do list is done. I'm sipping good coffee. I'm reading a novel. And then I'm interacting with my family, totally peaceful. And instead, it's my email inbox is full. I'm, uh, my to-do list is just... I'm just, it's just over there somewhere, and uh, um, I've had a lot of edgy moments with my family. Uh, I've been, like, fatigue. Anybody feel fatigue this time of year? And I don't know whether it's, like, my pace. I don't know that it's, a, maybe it's just the world injecting something into our system certain times of year. But there's, like, individual darkness that we carry. I, I I immediately thought of the Griffith family, the loss of Ray and this beautiful memorial service this past week, part of our community, and, and so many others are walking through loss in this season, and it's dark, it's hard, right? I think about the person here that has a hidden darkness. There's something in your life that you're hiding, and you carry a lot of maybe guilt or shame about that or a lot of weight about that, and, uh, and it's hard, and it's especially hard because you feel like you have to keep it hidden. And then, I, and then I think about the people that are like, honestly, I can't hide my crap. It's just there. So just like the shepherds, the smell of sheep give me away. And you're here right now taking all this in, but you feel totally separate. Like, I don't belong here. And, and, and then there's this line that recontextualizes for all of us, whether I mentioned it or not. It recontextualizes our personal darkness in our personal messes. And the line is this, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And here's why I point this out. And as we move to the end today, I wanna point this out because this is one of the greatest declarations and promises in scripture. This one that we read in Luke chapter two, but it was not declared in a packed temple during a revival where hope is swirling. It wasn't declared in the, 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 the place of power in the, the courts of the Caesars um, back then. This powerful declaration that shaped planet Earth was first delivered to worried, distracted, anxious, selfish, overwhelmed, and weary people. And that is where Jesus planted his flag and I think so often, because I feel like life is the beautiful mess, and I say that a lot, but I, I think so often that in the, where I meet Jesus most intimately is not in the cleaned up utopian I'm trying to control and create in my life. Where Jesus meets me most intimately, where Jesus plants his flag in my life is usually in the places that are the messiest. If, if, if I say yes to the invitation. So, um, and this reminds us that Jesus meets us and most tangibly in our filth, not, in our, not always in our cleanliness. I, the words of Dallas Willard, these always ring true to me. I, the, the address of Jesus is at the end of your rope. Um, and so reading this story, again, I realize this, that God's dream, the story of the Bible is not just someday for you to get through and then evacuate you to a utopia in the sky. The dream of God, according to Jesus, 
when Jesus preaches the gospel in every town and village and says the kingdom of God is at hand, it's within reach, is not that we will go to heaven just when we die. It's that heaven will begin to invade the messiness of your life and mine here and now and grow like a mustard seed grows through the chaos of a terrain and it grows like a mustard seed through the chaos of our life and over time tells a story. It's not flipping a switch. This is a garden, not a machine. But it tells a story little by little of our lives looking a little bit more like heaven, a little bit more like the kingdom of God, a little bit more, a little bit more like Jesus. And then what they would do at dawn is they would they'd move into midnight and they'd reflect collective darkness at sunset. Midnight, they reflect on this, this sort of individual darkness at dawn. Um, they would read Luke chapter 2, 15 through 20, and it's like when the shepherds find Jesus for the first time. And they would mark that moment where, where all the lies in the shepherds' hearts are confronted with the Savior Jesus that those who are the most marginalized and the most unloved out in the fields tending sheep now find themselves at the center of the greatest story ever told in the history of mankind. And, um, and then as they moved from there, they would move to the midday sun, right in the middle of the day where the sun is the brightest. And they would read the prologue of John in John chapter one. I'll read it in a moment. And it was a reminder. Actually, I'm gonna read it right now. This is what they would read. They would read this. It's a little confusing at first. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And then it says this, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Because darkness in the kingdom of God is not the end of the journey. It marks the beginning of a new journey. And so they would mark that with the, mid, the midday sun as a reminder that this has always been and will always be the story because of Jesus' life, death, dying for our darkness and our sin, and resurrection from the dead. And so here's what I'd love to do, very simply. I just, well, I wanna invite the worship team. You guys can come up. And Bob, if you wanna come up as well, my brother, Bob is gonna bring us into this imagery of the potter and the clay. Um, he is an artist and a dear friend and one of our pastors. And uh, thank you for sharing your gift with us, Bob. And I wanna invite my friend Zoe to come up real quick as well. Um, Zoe is going to read this story to us. And... Uh, Here's what I'd love to, I have to push these down quite a bit for most of the time. Um, here's what I'd love to invite us into um, as Zoe reads the story. If you could just take a moment to just pray this Christmas Eve and ask God for help. Even if you're like, Skepticism, and I'm not going to say skepticism is a bad thing, by the way. I'm not going to say that. Um, but if you're here and that's just in you, okay, that's where you're at. Um, I want to encourage you to test it, to just pray and ask God, show me the truth about this whole thing. And we're just going to listen to the story again. And as Zoe, here, you can come up. Oh, oh come on up, my friend. There you are. Yeah, 
Um, and uh, she, as she reads this, let's just take it in. And here's what we do. By asking that question or praying that prayer, we're taking this life of ours like a clump of clay and we're putting it not on Bob's potter's wheel but on the divine potter's wheel for our, our gracious God to begin to shape us even tonight supernaturally bringing wonder and the hope that really isn't just sentimental but so true and so available to each one of us this Christmas. So let's take the story in and then we'll begin to sing and light the candles together as well. Go ahead and read to us, Zoe. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that census should be taken care of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem to the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave him birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, but they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with an angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and he had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told.